Great. So exciting today because obviously it's Resurrection Sunday and all the things. And uh, usually I have a strict time. I have to be done by a, preaching by 1110, but the kids are already in here, so we could just go all day, you know. Uh, yeah, and we've rented the space to 1.30, so buckle up, right? Uh, man, Easter's so good. Uh, Easter is, I always say Resurrection Sunday is just like the ultimate surprise, uh, right? And um, through, through the years, I've attempted a, a handful of different sermon analogies uh, that, that try to convey surprise, and I've scared a few people and set off some fireworks one time. One time we had a gong. Do you got, anyone here was around for the gong year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. We're not going to do that this year. Everyone can just relax. No heart attacks. But it does, does make you wonder uh, if Jesus wasn't um, scaring some people to life on, on Easter, right? Are you with me? So, yes, yes, I love it. Controversial opinion this morning, uh, right? Easter is not necessarily all about plastic eggs or plastic grass and chocolate crosses, Although we can find some joy in those things. Are you with me this morning? Everyone loves a good chocolate something. Anyone remember, uh, total side thing, anyone remember back in the day, I haven't seen them in a good 25 years, but there was like a, there was like a point in the early 90s where it was really cool to, to uh, around your house you'd have like this uh, ceramic sugar looking egg that had an opening in it and you could look into it and there was like a scene in there you know what I'm talking about there was like the Easter Bunny you, yeah it's a thing look it up look it up look it up uh, it's, it's a thing I was even doubting myself until Debbie confirmed it's like oh yeah that was a thing and then then I googled it but anyway no today is not even about those unfortunately today is about the end. Today is our special day set aside to remember the end, right? Christians, uh, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, we love talking about the end because we know that the end is the beginning. Are you with me this morning? Can I get an amen? We're going to do amens this morning. It's Easter. We're going to get Pentecostal. Come on, Jeremy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The church of Christ witnesses to the end of all things. It lives from the end. It thinks from the end. It acts from the end. It proclaims its message from the end. Recently, I was at my barbershop seeing my dude, and um, uh, he's cut my hair several times. He's, he's a great guy. He's Christian. He's like a Coptic Christian. He's from Egypt. We've, we've had off and on conversations over the years, and I forget what we're talking about, but I remember saying the phrase, right, well, you only live once. I'm thinking like YOLO, because, you know, we white people say things like that, and, um, and, and it was clearly not a phrase for him, and there was, a, there was sort of like a long pause uh, in, in the conversation, and finally he broke the silence. He was like, so do you believe in life after death? And, and I was like, you know, I couldn't help but smile. And I was like, yes, I suppose this is just the beginning. And uh, to which then made me think like, will I have to keep getting my hair cut in heaven? Uh, you know, this is a legitimate question. Uh, so will coffee spill in heaven? 
We don't know, right? Uh, there's some assumptions that, that we make. This morning, what is this resurrected life that we are waiting for, right? What does this uh, resurrection actually look like? Where is it that we are going? I like to think about, uh, uh, you know, heaven, and we're given a lot of images around heaven uh, growing up, especially in the South. There are a lot of strong images around heaven. Well, everywhere, right? Evangelicalism, uh, right? We like to talk about streets of gold and uh, mansions uh, in the sky, and, and there's sort of like images of, of, of heaven that's like a, a really, really, really long Easter cantata, uh, that, that just goes on forever and ever, right? Which I don't know when we're going to have time to hang out in the mansion because we're just going to be singing the whole time, right? But if Whoopi Goldberg's leading that choir, I'm in. Are you with me? Uh, so, yeah, we, we recently did Sister Act with the girls. Emily and I are just laughing our heads off, and the kids are, like, traumatized by it. So, um, you know, some things hold, some things don't, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, one of my favorite things to do when I'm in the mood to eavesdrop is to eavesdrop on people's conversations about heaven and, and what they believe heaven to be like. And it's always really interesting and fascinating to hear the things that we sort of in, impose on a heaven-like setting, right? Very fun conversations, especially with our kids, because inevitably it's something like, Heaven will be like getting a, a, as many Cheetos as I could ever want, right? Or, or, heaven, or heaven will be like getting all the screen time I want and mom and dad won't ever stop me, you know? Or heaven will be like, I'm like Superman or Wonder Woman, I can just fly and we'll fly around everywhere, uh, you know? Um, or there's sort of the classic, like, we're going to get white robes with wings, situation in heaven. I think heaven will be like uh, getting to eat just endless, unlimited amounts of ice cream without getting a tummy ache and never having to go to the bathroom. You know, like heaven. Uh, here's the deal. If we haven't noticed this morning, all the ways uh, that we've anthropomorphized heaven. What I mean by that is all the ways that we tend to create heaven in our image, right, uh, sometimes. That when we think about heaven, uh, right, what, what the question that we often begin to answer is, what would a place look like that would give me the most amount of unlimited pleasure uh, or something along those lines, right? A heaven that's kind of all about us. Kind of interesting to think about. Inadvertently, through trying to define heaven that way, we end up creating and imagining a kind of place that's actually very unfamiliar, right? A place that's very unlike uh, creation as we know it, uh, right? Which could be fairly problematic theologically um, because the way, one of the great ways that we come to know God is through God's creation, is through God's created order. And so it's interesting that our wildest imaginations about heaven sometimes coalesce on a kind of place where we can 
consume indefinitely with, with no consequences and no limits and no borders. They're infinitely in the presence of God, right? Need some more Butterfingers, Jesus, you know, I don't know, which I hope they're Butterfingers in heaven, right? But Lord knows they're going to be organic and fair trade, uh, right, and with compostable wrappers, uh, right? Let's, let's imagine a place. But I get stuck here uh, a lot with these kind of versions of heaven that we create because of how unfamiliar it is. Because the places where I think, where I've witnessed heaven coming the closest to earth are the places, right, the things that, that I love the most are places that have boundaries, identities, frameworks, limits, right? They have place, they have names, and there's language around them, right? These are particular uh, people and places and things, right? Because love is not just in general, love is distinct. Are you with me? And so imagine what it is that you love and the people and the places and the things that you love and their identity and their names, right? Lake Pisgah that maybe you went as a child with your family, right? Fort Walton Beach, that place, or Destin, that place that you go on vacation, right? Raymond Heights where my peeps and my children ride their bikes in the cul-de-sac. Woody Crest, community garden, that place where... We hang out and plant our gardens and do our things. Kalioka, this place down south where I'm from, indigenous word for sweet water, right? Baja Burrito, place you can go, everyone knows your name, right? All the, all the good places, all the people, right? Emily Joanne, Daily May, Story Deanne, right? The names that we know. And then even further beyond that, right? We can name our stuffies, peanuts, peanut butter, what's the names? Giraffe, pig, pony, right? My daughter's listening right now from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that we love, they're particular, right? On and on. What we love about creation is actually its parameters, its boundaries, its creatureliness, its limits, because ironically, that's how God created it to be. And so to imagine the resurrection, the new heaven and the new earth, the eschaton, right, that breaks in upon us in the end uh, to be a place that's void of, of soil and earth, right, and all the things that make life wonderful, that, that has, somehow has no limits, feels almost like a shallow version or a shallow individualized, Americanized version of resurrection. The one thing we know about our resurrected bodies uh, is that Jesus came back wearing one. <laughs> and so I love this godly play story because we walked through these resurrection appearances and Jesus shows up and the first thing that happens is he's given somebody a hug and then he pops in the room with his disciples, right? And all of a sudden there's, there's touching, right, that happens. We find later Jesus is cooking, Jesus is eating, Jesus is hollering at people, Jesus is breathing on everybody, all his disciples, right? Did it smell like peppermint? We don't know. We don't know, right? But he had breath, right? But Jesus also had scars. And yeah, sure, Jesus appeared and disappeared. 
crazy stuff. Jesus ascended into heaven, crazy stuff. Jesus pseudo quasi worked within limits with his resurrected body and yet did not. You know, every time when we uh, talk about Easter and when Easter's going to be, no one ever really knows. You know, you got to Google it. It's like, I don't know when Easter is. It could be in March this year or September. I'm not even sure, you know. And the reason for that is because the rest of our calendar is, is, is hold out from old Roman days, uh, right? Uh, July, Julius Caesar, right? August, uh, Caesar Augustus, right? All, like our calendar... BTW has actually been colonized. But the cool thing about Easter is Easter uh, isn't like that. Easter's out there on its own. Uh, actually, it was through the Council of Nicaea that it was determined to be the Sunday of the second week of the Paschal moon, which is the first full moon following the spring equinox. Right? It's a crucial day for agricultural planting. And uh, at that time, Christians who were all across the Roman Empire, they were just, right, uh, they were just celebrating Easter any old time. I mean, we're talking weekdays, we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking crazy stuff, uh, you know. And so uh, the Council of Nicaea declared Easter's going to be on this day, right? We're going to have us a Resurrection Sunday and from then on till now in the Western Christendom, this date was set by the uh, spring equinox and the paschal moon. Theologian Michael Northcott points out, he writes, he says, The council was therefore in a way the first geopolitical climate conference. Since at the charge of the emperor, it drew up new international agreement on the relationship of the worship of Christians and their calendar to the seasonal shifts in the earth's climate from the declining and rising hours of sunlight in the northern hemisphere. Mapping the life of Christ onto the earth's relationship to the sun, the Council of Nicaea affirmed and underwrote the era in which Christ's lordship had put down all earthly powers under his feet and reigned from the sky as lord of heaven and earth. You can't make this stuff up, right? So good. Jesus is the reconciler of all things, as Colossians, as Paul writes in Colossians, right? God is a God about the cosmic, redemptive collision of heaven and earth. That's, that's where we're going, y'all. But uh, today, right, uh, today it's a little bit different. Why, why does all of this matter, right? Because Christ is the Christ of the cosmos. But today we live in uh, an epoch called the Anthropocene, right? Essentially the human, uh, the human caused age, right? We were in this, we were for thousands of years, we were in this comfortable place here on earth. But now our, our soil our biodiversity, our oceans, our atmosphere, our geological substructure has actually been altered by the ways in which humans have interacted with the earth. And so it should come to us as no surprise that when we often hear a resurrection story that, that mimics this sort of narrative that God is going to come back and beam us up and out of here and, and all this place is just done for, 
uh, right as we know it, uh, rather than what scriptures actually say, that God is coming to set up his kingdom here on earth and that is making all things new, right? These are two contrasting narratives. Um, getting a little controversial, but one of these is in scripture. I'm going to go all the way to the end. We're talking about the end today. We're going to talk about Revelation 5 just for a minute. Revelation 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Revelation 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And then you've got another, uh, another one uh, in your handout this morning from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will wipe them, will be with them, and, their, and be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, for there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Can I get an amen? So good. You can't make this stuff up. Our story the story of the people of God this morning is one that transcends our human-centered boundaries that we always want to place upon it with our dualistic minds, right, if you will. Yet, in that transcendence, we find, uh, as, as Karl Barth put it, freedom in limitation. Since we first plucked that piece of fruit in Genesis 3, that forbidden piece of fruit for ourselves, we've been attempting to make this story all about us, to push ourselves outside God's gift of limitation, and inadvertently finding ourselves actually outside of the boundaries of the Garden of Eden. We are certainly uh, afraid of limits this morning, aren't we? Have mercy. We just don't do limits. Are you with me? Oh, man, we, we don't want anything limited. We want to do whatever we want, take whatever we want, eat whatever we want, when we want it, right? We, we want to have whatever right to whatever thing that we feel we want rights to. We don't like limitations. Ha, have you been in Nashville this morning? Right? This, this, this week, wow, Emily and I were talking like, I wonder if Holy Week originally wasn't kind of like this, right? This crazy, just hot political mess this week in Nashville, right? We are afraid of our limitations, afraid of, of those things. We fear, right? Talking about Nashville this week, we, we're afraid of 
Are we afraid of losing weapons? Because we're afraid of losing control? Because we're afraid of not being able to defend ourselves? Because we are afraid of death? Have you guys ever noticed that we are scared to death of death? <laughs> are you with me? I mean, we are scared to death of death. Jesus was crucified not just because of Rome, but because he was disarming the Jews, right? Nobody uh, was on his side in the end. Resurrection morning comes to us this morning and reveals that the tomb is empty, right? You know, if the Marys could have, they'd have been like, Jesus, where are you at? Resurrection morning comes to us and says the tomb is empty, therefore, I ain't got to be afraid of nothing. I have to be afraid of anything. The tomb is empty. I ain't afraid of that. So this morning, wrapping things up, how might we stop making Resurrection Sunday? How might we stop making Easter anthropocentric, centered on us this morning, centered on me and my pleasures and my rights and what God's going to give me and the things that I want, what is God going to do for me, my unlimitedness. I want to fly. I want rights to all things, right? My unlimited supply of goodies. It's a pretty shallow version of resurrection. Some folks are going to get to heaven. They might be upset because heaven doesn't have their hobbies anymore. What if, what if, and I don't know, I haven't been there. Lord, we're working on it. What if we get to heaven and there's no weapons to shoot? What if we get to heaven and there's no tractors driving over our topsoil? What if we get to heaven and there ain't no social media? What will we do with all that free time, y'all? What are we going to do with all that free time? We just might have enough time to love somebody. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me this morning? What will we do? The tomb is so empty this morning. Resurrection just got a whole lot bigger. Today, I hope we can rejoice in knowing that Resurrection Sunday is bigger than you and that God is working on making all things right. On the heels of gun violence and climate change and gender inequality and the poverty, uh, the suffering of poverty and hunger and biodiversity loss and pesticides and plastic pollution and broken relationships and broken arms and broken hearts and melting ice caps, that the tomb is so empty this morning that God is going to fit all that in there. Look at somebody this morning and say, the tomb is so empty. The tomb is so empty, right? Say it again. The tomb, the tomb is so empty. The tomb is so empty, God's going to put Republicans and Democrats in there. Are you with me this morning? The tomb is so empty, we're talking Romans and Christians, right? The tomb is so empty, Braves fans and Yankees. Are you with me? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The tomb is so empty, I'm talking black and white and brown, 
right? And blue and green. Are you with me? The tomb is so empty this morning that God is going to fit it all in there because God is making all things right this morning. And that is something we should be pretty excited about. Amen. He is risen. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks this morning that that tomb is empty. And it takes an act of faith for us to continually believe that and remember that. And that's what we're doing this morning, God. That's what we're practicing this morning, God. That that tomb is so empty and that you are risen and that we are rising. And that all of this, God, all of creation, we don't know what it's going to look like in the end, God. But we know that you are there and that you are the God of all of this. You created all of this and you called it good. And I believe it's going to be real good in the end, God. So we give you thanks this morning. In your name, amen.